Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. Is doing the most important things alone a good idea? How comfy are you with your choices when it comes to life's biggest decisions? What is real peace of mind with financial confidence and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors. So I want to welcome everybody to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors. I'm your host, Chris Flaming, and today I have the privilege of bringing Ido Walney to the show. His Walney Legal Group, based in Milwaukee, specializes in estate planning, business succession, asset protection, probate, and trust administration. He's a noted national speaker, author, and commentator, and he's been selected as one of five national advisors with heart. He's committed to a truly caring and second-to-none experience with every client he serves. He's also certified as an estate planning law specialist, which is the highest designation recognized by the American Bar. So, Ido, thanks for being here and welcome to the show. Chris, thanks for having me. I'm really excited about the opportunity. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We're going to have some fun. So, I kind of did some uh, background on you and read up a little bit before we had our session today. And you have kind of an interesting history of how you came to be where you are now. So I'd like you to take me through that and then what led you to opening up your own practice. Yeah, so I grew up in Chicago, went to law school in Boston, and then in 2001 graduated and came to Milwaukee. Milwaukee was a great city for me at the time because it was a smaller market than Chicago, so I figured Mm. I could grow my career a little bit more quickly here. The Mm. cost of living was a little bit better, and if I didn't like it or it didn't work out, I could always go back home to Chicago, which is an hour and a half away. Yeah. So interestingly, I got a job at a big law firm in town. My first day of work was September 4th, 2001. Mm. So I had a really interesting first week of work before yeah. things got a little crazy on September 11th. But I, I hung in there. And as a result of the craziness of September 11th, I had a mentor assigned to me. And actually that mentor turned out to be someone who changed my life because he said, listen, this firm can take basically everything away from you. They can take mm. away your office, your salary, your assistant. I I mean, really everything, and they can usher you out the door. There are two things that no one can take away from you. That's your contact base and Mm. your knowledge base. Mm. And so whatever you do, always focus on growing those two things and you'll be successful wherever you go. Mm. So that was amazing career-altering advice. I have focused on that for the last 20 years. After spending 10 years at big firms subsequent to that, in May of 2011, so almost exactly 10 years ago, I decided that I loved what I was doing, but not the setting in which I was doing Mm. it. Um, And if we just plucked an estate planning group from a big law firm and let it stand on its own two feet and then contour the business model and the service model and the way we did billing, this could be a successful way of going Mm. about estate planning. 10 years later, we've never looked back. It's been phenomenal. Awesome. No, that's a great story. So if you could go back 10 years and talk to the younger you, right, when you started, is there anything you think that you would tell that younger you uh, that you know now? Any advice you would give to them? You know, I think just like every young professional, you come out of school and you're eager to just have at it and you just, you know, you're impatient. And I think estate planning more than any other area of the law 
Um, you just have to be really, really patient. Mm. It's very complicated. There yeah. are a lot of people who do it who don't fully understand it. And the concepts are very esoteric in some regards. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. Don't get frustrated. Keep chipping away at it. You're on the right path. Eventually things will all work out, right? When a, when a window opens and a door closes, I mean, just do what you have to do to advance. I think that's really good advice for any young professional who, mm-hmm. you know, from day one thinks that they can run the firm. I certainly thought that, but yeah. you're wrong. Just give it some time. It'll be right. okay. Yeah, you'll get brought down to reality, but then you can build back up from there. That's true. For sure. That's true. We want to go out and change the world, right? We're going to... Yeah, the world's a big place and it's had a long time to sort of settle in where it has. So change is hard and slow. And even at a very personal level, it's it's hard and slow. But if you keep chipping away and you're patient and you just don't give up, honestly, it sounds cliche, but it does work out. Yeah. So is there an easy way that you like to explain to potential clients why a comprehensive estate plan is important in their lives? So like what it is and what it accomplishes? Yeah, I mean, I define a comprehensive estate plan as an estate plan that is contoured for the needs of your individual situation. Mm. And unfortunately, or fortunately, people's situations are not static. You know, where you were when you were 18 is not where you were when you were 25 or 35 or 55 or 85. And so what you need is, is an estate planning attorney who can sit down and talk to you about what your needs are. Mm. I cannot tell you how many times clients have come in and said either I need a will or my situation is simple. And almost always their situation is not simple or they simply don't appreciate what simple looks like. And they almost never actually just need a will, but they don't know that, right? I mean, part of our job, part of our role as attorneys and advisors is education. I mean, I would go Mm -hmm. so far as to say that half of my job is education. And so I know to look at the client's overall situation, their personal situation, their financial situation, Mm -hmm. their interpersonal situation, issues within the family. And then we have to navigate what those are and give them appropriate documents to manage their situation. And for almost everyone, those are gonna be a little bit different than the person before them and the person after them, and then also what's gonna be appropriate for them in 10 years. This is what separates a good estate planning attorney from say, what you find on the internet, because Mm -hmm. the internet documents are static. And while they may sound good to an untrained ear, you don't know what you're missing out on. Mm -hmm. You don't know what those documents are accomplishing or missing. You know, I can go to LegalZoom, and and this is by no means a knock for LegalZoom. It it can produce great documents, but I can go to LegalZoom and navigate their questions in a way that produces a good document in the end, whereas a layperson is just kind of willy-nilly answering questions, and the document that's produced at the end may or may not be appropriate, but they have no means by which to analyze that. And so that's the value of having a trained Mm -hmm. professional work with you to get to a good result. Yeah, and that's what I find is helping people to understand the difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? So there's an endless amount of knowledge and information online and on the internet, but the wisdom part is what is lacking. But how does it apply to them and and what should they be doing based on their particular situation? I think that's great advice. So what's kind of an easy way or a simple way for you to explain to someone what asset protection is? So different maybe than estate planning where they've got assets that they want to protect. Sure. So asset protection is literally what it sounds like. It's the protection of certain assets from the claims of creditors. Okay. So unfortunately, when we get the call for doing asset protection, the first question I ask is, 
are you being sued? Are you being pursued <laughs> by a creditor? Or do you have yeah. reason to believe that that's coming? Yeah. Because generally, if you are fall into that category where you know that something is coming, it's too late to do asset protection. Yeah. Asset protection has to be done with what we call in the legal profession, clean hands. Mm. You have to do it without the intent of defrauding a potential creditor claim. Yeah. So if you've waited too long and you now believe that something is sort of bubbling up, mm-hmm. you can't do asset protection or more correctly, you can do it, but it won't be applicable to that one creditor you already know exists. But if you can do it with clean hands and you do it early enough in the game where, you know, you don't believe that anything's going to happen and that's foreseeable for a lot of people, you know, the most probable creditor you have is a future divorcing spouse, but that can come in the form of other litigation. You get into a car accident or somebody sues you or whatever the case may be. You know, these are foreseeable things on a, you know, mathematical basis. And so if you can get into this and do some paperwork to help protect some of those assets. I don't believe in protecting every penny that you have, Mm. but the goal of asset protection is to allow you to navigate through a litigious situation and come out in a reasonable shape on the other side. Okay, so are there particular areas of your practice that you personally get the most enjoyment out of that really challenge you mentally or pique your interest or that you really get excited about? So first, let me say, we have a smiles in, smiles out policy. So I, you know, every attorney, when they first meet with their client, the client's always smiling, right? They have some sort of issue, whether it's an estate planning issue or a litigious issue, whatever. They're finally happy to talk to someone who's going to help them. So the client's always smiling when they come in, but only a small fraction of those clients are smiling at the end of that (laughs) process, right? right? After they've already gone through the grinder and after they've gotten all their legal bills and all of that stuff, very few clients are still smiling. So our job in my view, is to make sure that that client is smiling on the way out, just Mm. like they were smiling on the way in. And when we can have that happen, I know that I've done a good job because they've had a positive client interaction with a lawyer, which is hard to do, frankly. And so I really enjoy that. I I like being that lawyer where clients can come in and, and talk to us and through this process, be happy with the results, be happy with what they've been charged and know that they've gotten a good result. So that's the first thing. But I'll tell you, we have also a policy of making sure that clients never sign things that they don't fully understand. A lot of clients come in with previously drafted documents. And one Mm -hmm. of the questions we ask them is, all right, in your own words, explain to us what this pile of paper in front of you is. And the most common answer is, I have no idea. The client, you know, the lawyer put a bunch of paper in front of me, told me to sign it, and I did. That's the deer in the headlights. Yeah. You know, (laughs) this is the result of an hourly rate engagement where the client wants to come in and get out as fast as they can. So the fewer questions they ask, the fewer interactions they have with the lawyer, the Mm -hmm. cheaper the bill is going to be. So just sort of side note, we do a lot of our billing as a flat fee so that the clients never have to worry about that. But Mm -hmm. the synthesis of that is that we had a client engagement a few years ago that was extraordinarily complicated. There was a lot of business planning, asset protection, multi-generational planning. It, It was amongst the most complicated engagements we've ever had. I pride myself in explaining complicated situations Mm -hmm. in a very layman's term. But Mm -hmm. we were on the phone with the client's bank at one point. And for whatever reason, I was having a bad day and I couldn't get through to the banker what we were doing. And the client said, let me take a shot at this. And I thought to myself, oh God, this is going to be a ride. And I couldn't be more proud. The client 
very adeptly explained to this banker even the most complicated documents that we had. And I was proud of it because I knew that we had therefore done a very good job explaining mm. to the client in a way that he wasn't just sort of nodding his head. He yeah. was really understanding what we were doing literally to the point where he could explain it to someone else. That was a validation point in my career to know mm. that we were doing things the right way. Okay, that's great. So what do you think is a big misconception that people have about your line of work or your area of practice? So what's the big easy. misconception people have out there? Biggest misconception, hands down, is that it's easy. Anyone can do it. I can hop online and as smart or as educated as this lawyer is, I can go on Google and find documents and save myself a lot of money and do this stuff myself. Honestly, that's a position that even a lot of lawyers share because you mm. see a lot of general practitioners or people who do X, Y, and Z and also estate planning. It's hard enough for us to stay on top of the changing laws and the case law and the client situations and the nuance of everything that we do. I can't imagine what it would be like to try to do this and also three other areas of law or four yeah. other areas of the law. And I've frankly seen the results of people trying to do a lot of this work online themselves. It's, it's a train wreck. In most cases, clients would actually be better off having nothing than the documents they've produced for themselves. So yeah. again, this goes back to education. I, I feel like half of our job is educating the public. And it's why I love doing podcasts like this and doing articles that are published generally so that we can get this education part out to explain to people that you may think that your situation is simple and you may believe that these documents are simple, but they're not. And it's way more complicated than you can probably appreciate. Let us help you. All right. So that would be a misconception. And I'd, I'd agree with you that they, it's just all do it yourself or and anybody can do it. So what do you think is a, a, the most overlooked area or blind spot that potential clients have when you meet with them? Blind spot meaning they don't see that it's a risk to them or they don't see that it's a potential issue. So I think a lot of clients come in with the preconceived notion that if they set up a trust or even if they're just doing a will, that their children are the ones who should execute all of the documents. I'll just let my oldest son or my oldest right. daughter be the trustee for all the other kids. Very common. And in fact, yeah. a lot of lawyers still allow this. We, legally speaking, there's nothing wrong with that. Where right. I intervene and, and often tell clients not to do it is on a practical level. I mean, do you want your eldest child to have to intervene in the personal situation and finance of that person's siblings and, and tell them, sorry, I'm not going to give you this money or, yeah. you know, we've got to go in a different direction or I think you should buy this other car. You know, oftentimes clients will say, oh, well, my kids have a good relationship. My answer to that is they won't after this. Right. And so let's find some other family members or close friends or professionals who can yeah. help them. I guarantee you, your children down the road will thank you for that decision. I always think about like, well, did your kids fight when they were young? <laughs> yeah. They'll probably fight later too if they had arguments while they were growing up. So yes. it's hard. People don't change. The estate litigation fights that we have are always over money, of course, yeah. but they are the result not of some you know, misconceived issues of fairness. And I always say what's fair is in the eye of the beholder, but mm. the sorts of fights, if you really dig down to why siblings fight when it comes to mom and dad's estate, it has nothing to do with the estate. It has everything to do with perceived wrongs in third yeah. grade. You know, right. you got more peanut butter in your peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Your birthday party right. was always better than mine. Mom always loved you more than me. This yeah. is how things manifest themselves. And those are ugly, dirty, nasty fights 
fights. And, you know, quite honestly, the only winners in those fights are the lawyers because the Mm -hmm. fees get out of control because we can't reasonably settle because the litigants are not being reasonable because they're not fighting over money. They're not Mm -hmm. fighting over the obvious. They're fighting over things that we have no, I I can't give you a peanut butter and jelly 20 years ago. It's done. It's really hard and it's heartbreaking in a lot of situations. So I'm shifting gears a little bit right now. What do you like best about your business right now? I think we do things right, to be honest. You know, 10 years ago, set out to grab a big firm's estate planning department and all of the knowledge and expertise that comes along with that and Mm -hmm. pluck it out of the big firm, let it stand on its own two feet and have us be able to contour things in a way that I thought served us internally better and the clients externally better and also Mm. the people we work with, the financial service professionals, meaning the bankers, the accountants, the insurance agents, the financial advisors, do things in a way that made more sense to them. And I think we've done a very good job. Of course, nobody's perfect. We're always refining. But I think we do things in a way that makes me really happy. I think the experience Mm. that we have internally and that others have externally is exactly what I was hoping to do. You know, there's always trade-offs for certain of those things. I know that we leave money on the table, but I'm happy to leave that money on the table to sleep better at night and know that we've got the smiles in, smiles out policy where clients are happy at the end. And that to me, you know, 10 years in now, I couldn't be more happy with the direction we're going. Isn't that sleep at night factor so underestimated? Don't you think so? Like just in the professional world in general. Absolutely. I mean, I know that, you know, look, everybody makes mistakes, right? No matter how good you are, everybody makes mistakes. No matter how much you could pay your attorney $2,000 an hour, that -hmm. person is still making mistakes. Mm -hmm. The difference is that, you know, when you have a good relationship with your client, it's the difference between the client saying, all right, well, let's sort of analyze what happened. How can we fix this? Versus I don't care. I'm just going to sue the pants off of you because this was strictly a business transaction. We had no interpersonal communication. You are just a service provider. And that is literally what keeps lawyers up at night. And I I don't want or need that. We have plenty of stress without that. Anytime we can start to develop bridges and laugh with clients and really care about them, that means a lot to me. And and I really, really appreciate and enjoy that part of my job. I think that comes across when you talk, you know, I'm shifting gears here a little bit. I'm curious what your first memory was, memory or experience with money. So Lemonade stand when you were a kid or had a small business, you know, shoveling sidewalks. Can you think of a first memory you had or experience? Absolutely. Fourth grade, my friend George and I were in Mr. Nelson's class in elementary school. And, you know, just like every elementary school kid, we would always lose our pencils. You know, back then everybody dealt with pencils. So George and I realized that we could bulk buy pencils and sell them for like a quarter a piece. You know, because I think the teacher at the time, which would, there was some punishment if you had to ask for a pencil and everybody had used the sharpening pencils. And I I guess there was some rule against sharpening pencils at our school. It's a long time ago now. I don't remember all the details, (laughs) but we bought mechanical pencils in bulk. So they were always sharp, sold them for a quarter and made a fair amount of money doing that. And I remember George and I, who, by the way, 40 years later, I'm still in touch with them. You know, we would go and buy comic books with that money. We would goof around with that money. It was amazing. I mean, you know, buy cheap, buy in bulk and then sell at a profit and then go buy things that you want. I mean, it was a tremendous business lesson in fourth grade. Bought my mom, by the way, that year I bought my mom the most amazing Mother's Day gift. And they were really concerned about where all this money came from. How could you have afforded this? And I remember being super proud about explaining how I could afford that. 
That's great. I love those stories. So are there any experiences you can kind of think or take us through in your business that have made you keenly aware of the positive or the negative impact of wealth, right? Because money isn't a negative or a positive thing in itself, but I'm curious if you could give some insight on that. Yeah, I mean, I think the lesson that we've learned doing estate planning for as long as we have now is that every family has their issues. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's interspousal problems, black sheep children, drug or alcohol problems really infest even the most uppity families. I mean, you would yeah. never guess that, you know, this well-to-do family who you smile and wave at every day has a kid who does heroin, but mm-hmm. it happens. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're very strict on confidentiality and we tell clients, listen, we can't do our job unless you're honest with us. And so mm-hmm. please, anything you need to tell us, I promise you it won't be the first time we've heard it. Let right. us know what the issues are so that we can plan around it. I mean, you yeah. don't want to give a child with significant problems, whether it's substance abuse or mental health or whatever, you don't want to dump a bunch of money on them because yeah. to your point, the money will become toxic. Yeah. And so instead of helping them, now you're really, really hurting them. And I think it sometimes takes people a little bit of time to admit that, yeah, we've got a kid who's got a problem or we have a problem you know, between our spouses or you know, my parents have money issues and we don't know how to help them. So yeah. I think being really strict with confidentiality and being able to connect with the clients and really get them to be honest with us, I would tell people, you're not alone, right? A lot of people have these issues. And so don't let that be a reason why you don't do planning. It should be the driving force for planning. The reason people used to do estate planning was for strictly tax purposes. I have never led with taxes in my entire career. If I told you that saving taxes, all you had to do was jump out the window. You wouldn't do that. That's crazy. And so I think if we can pick up tax efficiency as part of the process, great. But estate planning is literally about planning your estate, making sure that things get to where they need to get in a secure manner, both for you and the recipient. And so be honest with yourself, talk about your situation, and let's plan for that. And then I I would say when we've done that, when we've executed that properly, I mean, those are amazing situations where people can exhale for the first time and know Mm -hmm. that if something were to happen to them, you know, they walk out the door and get hit by a bus, their child with a problem isn't going to die because now they've just inherited a few hundred thousand dollars or millions of dollars and is going to destroy their lives with that money. You know, money is a tool and it can be an extreme positive or an extreme negative. And when we can diminish the negativity and increase the positivity, that's a win every time. Yeah, well, and it's twofold. They get to talk to someone and tell someone maybe that they've never told before things about their life, but they also walk out with that smile and they're relieved that they got it off their chest and their estate plan addresses those challenges, right? Which that's the solution rather than I just got like a half done thing and I didn't tell them about that. And uh, who knows what's going to happen if the other shoe drops? It's ineffective. It's ineffective. Okay. What would you say is your biggest life accomplishment so far? So this could be personally or professionally or both. I mean, look, I just like every proud dad, I'm really proud of my kids. I've got a 15-year-old son who is an incredible hockey player and really going places. And I've sacrificed a lot to help him. At one point, I was driving 40,000 miles a year helping him. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, that's a lot of miles. And then my daughter also, she went from being dragged to ice rinks to watch my son to now being an accomplished figure skater in her own right. And she's incredible. Um, So I'm extremely proud of them. I'm proud of the fact that, you know, growing up, my dad was a, a workaholic and God bless him. He 
worked very, very hard to provide for the family, but we hardly ever saw him, right? Mm. He was never at any school events. He didn't encourage us to do extracurriculars. He was proud of us, no doubt. He didn't do the things he did selfishly. He did it yeah. for us. But I don't have a lot of memories as a kid of engaging with my dad. We have a better relationship now than, than when I was a kid. And I'm very proud that for all the success I've had professionally, and I'm thankful for all of it. I've been engaged with my kids and seen them and not missed parent-teacher conferences and not yeah. missed games. And I can watch them and, and see them succeed and thrive and become young adults. And it is incredibly, incredibly fun and rewarding to do that. Yeah. That work-life balance is so important. I did a, I gave a presentation at a conference, an industry conference one time, and it was about work-life balance. And I remember one of my sons, he asked me, dad, aren't you the boss? Aren't you the owner of the business? If that's true, then why don't we see you as much, right? And so that was like a knife in my heart, right? When, and uh, a realization, hey, I need to get my priorities back in order. I need to get my work-life balance fixed because they're right and this isn't good. Yeah, I don't wanna be just an afterthought. That balance is hard because it's easy for the scales of that balance to fall the other direction mm -hmm. where you're so engaged with your family and you're so, you know, you have, I certainly have my own hobbies and things that I like mm -hmm. to do. And, you know, I end up doing them at midnight or two in the morning. I sleep about three, four hours a night because I still want to do that stuff while still accomplishing all the other things I want to. And yeah. it's easy for people to have that, that's the scales tilt in the family of life as opposed to work and life. And then yeah. you start causing problems at work. Yeah. You know, I recognize that this firm is my third baby. And so there's a place for that. And I do what I need to do to be successful here. I work at night. I work on weekends. I do what I need to do. I recognize that there has to be true balance. And mm -hmm. when you can recognize that and make sure that your family's getting what they need, but the business is also getting what it needs. And you also, by the way, get what you need because, you know, mm -hmm. you can do those two things and be very, very, personally unhappy. But if you can balance those, call it three things, life is pretty good. Yeah. So outside of your practice, outside of work, is there something that you're really passionate about personally? So you said you have interests and hobbies. Is there something that you're passionate about? Yeah. So I'm kind of my son's hockey manager. So okay. I'm his agent, his equipment manager, his attorney. So okay. I spend a fair amount of time <laughs> with that. I have a side cufflinks business. I make cufflinks um, out of mechanical wristwatch movements okay. that I upcycle. Cool. I restore cars. I've restored a 1927 Ford Model T. I'm working on a 1964 Chevy Corvair pickup truck right now. I'm also the president of my municipality, and that's why I don't sleep at night. <laughs> so if you had some more time and you could do anything that you wanted, so let's say if you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you be doing instead? So was there some other profession or business or something you thought you were going to do growing up? Yeah, I'd be a truck driver. Okay. I love driving. I love okay. driving. When I, you know, again, I drove a my son a lot when he yes. was younger. And, and yeah. I, a lot of people dread that. I didn't dread it at all. I really enjoy being on the road. I, I enjoy the road life, the quietness, listening to the radio. Satellite radio is a godsend. You know, you don't yeah. have the radios phase in and out anymore like when we were kids. Right. So I can just lock into a station and listen to it for a long time, whether it's talk radio, music, whatever. Books on tape, also yep. amazing. But I just love being on the road. And I've always told people, you know, if I had to hit reset and couldn't be a lawyer for some reason, I would have loved to be a truck driver. Oh, cool. Being a race car driver probably would have been a close second. That's a little more dangerous. Yeah. But driving trucks across the country, I, I would love that. So what's a unique or interesting fact about you that very few people know? 
I'm a pretty open book. So man, things that people don't know, you know, I think a lot of people until I tell them don't know that I, I literally sleep about three hours a night. Yeah. Yeah. So even on weekends, I, I can't remember a time before this happened. There was a time before this started happening. But, you know, unlike a lot of people, I can sleep three hours a night. I usually go to bed around one to two in the morning okay. and wake up at five. But I am pretty engaged during the, call it 20 hours that I'm awake doing yeah. various things. And it's amazing what you can get accomplished in 20 hours. But, you know, I wake up, I'm refreshed. I, I don't feel like I've got any kinds of yeah. problems. Yeah, Run down I might be shaving a few years off the back end of my life, but so be it. I'm making it up, you know, a few hours at a time every day. Right. Yeah. But I, I really, I, I enjoy the things that I do. I don't do it because I can't sleep. I just, my brain is constantly running and I yeah. can't just lay down in bed and fall asleep. Mm-hmm. I've got to get myself to the point of exhaustion so that I can go to sleep and then wake up and start all over. And that happens every day, seven days a week, every month. And it has for at least the last 15 years. So in your industry, things are always changing, right? Yep. Laws are changing. Laws are, might be changing. There's talk about they could change or they will. So what's the best way that you stay on the cutting edge of your industry or is, are the things that you follow or read on a regular basis? Hardly a day goes by. So one of the things I do when I'm not sleeping is, is really try to stay up on the articles about mm. what new ideas people are coming up with, what is the prognostication of where the law is going. You know, mm-hmm. Even with those articles, I think to myself, what are they missing? What is this going to mean for me? You know, my entire career, and I'm coming up on 20 years, the federal estate exemption amount has Uh only been the same number in back-to-back years once. So it's changed every year. And when it changes, and I think there's a high probability it'll change again in 2022 fairly significantly, Mm -hmm. you know, it's one thing to say it's going to change, but then what does that mean? What does it mean to me professionally? What does it mean to my clients? What does it mean to the advice I'm going to give them? And I think very few advisors do that. They are reactive. They don't position themselves in a way that allows them to take advantage of these changes. I mean, Mm -hmm. I remember that when, you know, Actera, the original estate exemption law that got passed, passed in 2000, took effect in 2001, came into effect. And nobody thought we'd ever get to the point that the exemption would be unlimited. And I, for years, said it is an inevitability that that will happen. And that is a big change from an exemption that just a few years prior was at $600,000. I mean, think about that. Most people's homes by themselves could have gotten them over that exemption. Now it's unlimited. George Steinbrenner died and had no estate tax exposure at all. That is a complete paradigm shift. And whereas I felt that I was ready and positioned for what that meant, Mm -hmm. a lot of people were scurrying to try to figure it out at the last minute because they never thought they'd be in this situation. And so again, maybe I have a few extra hours in a day relative to other people. I try every day to put a little bit of time into personal education and personal prognostication Mm. so that I can be a half step ahead of everybody else. That half step is the difference between success and just making it. Well, I think about the, you've ever read that article about the 1% theory where you're just trying to get 1% better and then over time it compounds and then you have, you're that far ahead either in your knowledge or your ability to apply what you've learned in situations because you've come across those things. Okay. Absolutely. So what do you think is the most exciting part of your business right now? What are you really excited about from a business standpoint right now? I'm excited about the growth that I see in the future. I mean, Mm. we are still in an industry and and I would say financial services in general, again, estate planning attorneys, Mm -hmm. bankers, financial advisors, all of those that are dominated by older 
people. Mm. And so in the coming years, I think that there's going to be an increasingly high rate of retirements Mm -hmm. and people getting out of the industry, you know, again, whether it's retirement or death or whatever. And so there's an opportunity for us to continue to grab market share and get better and spread the kind of good work that we do. You know, Mm -hmm. we have a national footprint for a little firm based out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm really proud of the reach that we have where we're dealing with professional athletes and clients from all over the country and even some all over the world. I mean, that's incredible. It's incredible that we've gotten to this place in in a mere 10 years. And so to be able to grab more market share, continue Mm. to bring on talented people and grow and, you know, sing our gospel, because I think it's amazing. I'm really, really excited about what the future holds. Awesome. I can tell. And yeah, that's exciting, man. So on the flip side of that, what do you consider to be your biggest challenge right now? So a challenge or an obstacle that your business is facing? I mean, I think in general, not knowing what the future holds in terms of the law is hard. When you're giving advice to clients and it's really just the best advice based on the information available to you today, not knowing that whether in six months that could be completely wrong is unsettling. And it's hard because you have to tell clients, listen, I, I know what the law is today. Let's take advantage of that. And if things change, we can pivot. Let's Mm -hmm. not do that. You know, we kind of see what's coming down the pipeline. Let's not do things that would cause problems for you, but let's be aggressive, but not bleeding edge aggressive so that we get you in trouble. But let's leverage opportunities and take advantage of that. I mean, people don't like to do estate planning. I get it. You know, they're happy to put it off. I've had people, we've ran ads in the past and I had one client when we finally met whip out this crumply piece of paper and said, I've literally gone to work with your ad in my back pocket every day for the last five years, intending to call you. I'm finally doing it. It was incredible. I get that, right? People don't want to acknowledge their mortality and and talk about these issues. It's easy to put your head in the sand. So when they finally do, I, I really dread talking to them about the shifting sands and the fact that, you know, this isn't set in and forget it. Once you do it, you're yeah. going to have to revisit it. Certain clients may need to revisit it sooner than later, like mm-hmm. meaning the next few months, mm-hmm. but it's the reality of the situation. You know, elections yeah. cause changes. And, you know, to me as a professional, that change is somewhat exciting. It means that it's not all static, yeah. but it's really hard. And especially now with significant changes in capital gains and income taxes, the estate tax system potentially getting thrown on its head. It's hard to have these conversations with clients because I know they dread it. And so I've got to put my happy face on and and lead them through this cloud and hopefully maintain that smile on the other side. Well, and I think of it as um, the fact that things will be uncertain is a certainty, right? So if that is certain, that things will be uncertain. So when we can realize that and know we have to pivot or may have to pivot and we can be accepting of that, then you you have a platform for moving in a good direction. But people like certainty, they crave certainty, they want things to be status quo all the time or comfortable for them. But in a lot of fields like yours and mine, that isn't always going to be the case. And if you wait for things to settle down, you'll be waiting your whole life, right? It never does, right. If someone had told me, call me when things settle down the first day of my career, that client would, I still wouldn't have called that client back. Right, exactly. No time like the present, right. So do you think there's a question that I should have asked you or is there anything you want to expand on that you said earlier? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest issue that I would say is, you know, for clients who want to do estate planning, getting over that hurdle of of finally acknowledging that there's no better time than now and wanting to get the process started. Well, that's great. What do you do next? 
Yeah. I would say your best bet is to reach out to an, a qualified estate planning attorney. Don't trust what you find on the internet by doing mm. a random Google search. I can tell you that the two best organizations to find qualified estate planning attorneys are ACTEC and NAPEC, N-A-E-P-C. Okay. Check out those websites, find qualified estate planning attorneys from one of those two places. I say that not even being a member of ACTEC currently. I just know that those are good resources for the public to find people who have been well vetted professionally so that they know what they're doing. You don't want to work with an estate planner who was doing a divorce yesterday or litigation yeah. the day before. You know, these are documents that need to work when you need them to work. Sometimes you don't get a second chance at it. So find a qualified attorney who knows what they're doing. NAEPC.org or actech, A-C-T-E-C dot org. Hit those websites, find qualified attorneys, go there, start there. You'd be doing yourself a favor. Yeah. And I almost think of it as, you know, you have a specific health issue, but then you go to a general practitioner and expect them to be able to diagnose and do the surgery, right? That nobody does that. They get a referral and go to somebody who specializes in those areas. So the same would apply here. For sure. So if people want to learn more about your firm, about you, What's the best way for them to either get in touch or, or contact you? Easiest way is our website, www.walneylegal.com. Our Twitter is on there, our Twitter posts and LinkedIn posts and contact information. You know, when your name is Ito, rather than ask people to try to figure out how to spell that, go to www.walneylegal.com and everything you need is there. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So listen, Ito, I want to thank you for taking time to be here with me today. You've been an awesome guest and I've learned a lot from you in just a short time. And it's really been a true pleasure. I really, really appreciate you being here. Thanks, Chris. This was awesome. Yeah. I really and enjoyed it. Folks, I want to uh, thank Eno for being here. He's the founder of Walney Legal Group. And I want to thank you all for tuning in to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we're raising the retirement confidence of everyday people to another level, one show at a time. We'll see you next time. Thanks. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.